Well, we'll be hearing about those and other adaptations to this time of COVID-19 when we continue our conversation with Richard next week. We'll also be hearing about the reaction of baseball fans from around the world and how you too can tune in to watch the games for free. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. Listen, are you listening? <laughs> this is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin, and today my guest, his name is Darren Ye, who is the Director of Operations at Omplexity Consulting Firm, and he's also an independent art curator. So let's meet Darren. Hi, Darren. Thank you so much. Hi, Shirley. Nice. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you. Now, um, I want my listeners to know that originally you said that, oh, I don't have much to say about my life. <laughs> but you do. You do have a lot to say about your <laughs> life because I was like reading up on you and realized that, well, actually you gave me your own CV, <laughs> you know, your own background. And it's very rich background. First of all, you went to a military academy here in Taiwan. So you were, you studied, you know, a uh, military school. And then actually you had the opportunity to uh, go on exchange at the uh, U.S. Military Academy at West Point. So that's yes. quite an honor. Um, anyway, why did you want to um, study at a military school? Uh, I think it's because of my parents. Because during that time, uh, my parents know some people in military and they... They heard that uh, military is a very stable and a very good, uh, you know, career to pursue. So my parents just give me, they just ask me if I want to try. So I go at the age after graduation from elementary school. So mm -hmm. it was very very young. So I just, that's why I started my military career. Wait a minute. What do you mean by elementary school? You you started going so, to military school when you were just in elementary. After oh after after graduation after, of elementary school, you so went on straight to military high school. school. Oh yeah, military, so military high school. school. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes wow. Yes. Yeah. What was that like? Did you like it? I mean, you know, sorry. The rest of us might have a stereotype thinking why kids are being put in military schools. Is that maybe you were a naughty kid? Were <laughs> 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 were you? Oh, well, I was okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay. But I will say just parents, they want their kids to have a stable job and a good career. So that it's kind of a recommendation to me. So uh, I just go and give it a try. And yeah, luckily I survive and I, <laughs> I, 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 I you know, kind of accept the life, you know. Yeah, did you, that's how it is. Did you like it? Uh, in the beginning, in the beginning, probably no. But uh, gradually, I kind of found that my passion and uh, my my goal in military. So yeah, I would say my military life was very very exciting and fruitful. 
Oh my goodness! What do you mean by passion? You you realize your passion was in military school at education. What do you mean? Which part did you like? Oh,、mm, um, I I was in the special program for English training because military they need、uh, someone who is able to speak、uh, different languages to be a military attaché in the future. So it's kind of a long-term training program. So I was one of them. So I had a lot of,、um, uh, you know, Spanish training,、uh, English training back in military, and that helps me a lot. So you have a talent for for languages. How many languages do you speak now?、Uh, I speak、uh, English, Spanish, and a little bit French. Oh my goodness, that's more than me! <laughs> well, wow, <laughs> that's that's really quite an honor. Okay, so then in the year two thousand five, you actually went on exchange to West Point in the states. What was that like? Yes,、um, yeah. The, so so in the, every every year we select、uh, two people and for exchange program. And I'm lucky that、uh, I got selected to West Point, and、uh, it was great experience. And then I realized how different Taiwan military and the U.S. military are. Yeah, very interesting. Really, what's the difference? I would say、um, in Taiwan,、um, the military they are more challenging than U.S. military. Taiwan's military However, is more challenging, or really physically? You mean? Yeah, yeah. It's、uh, men- mental and physical. Men- mental、yeah. and physical. Both mental and physical. Is that good or bad? I would say in a good way, actually. I, I like. <laughs> I, I think it's a necessary training for human being. <laughs> but yeah, and, and then for for but but for USA, it's very interesting because USA they, is a big country, right? So they have a lot of.、Uh, Uh, international thinking, international relationship, connect. You know the the cadets were edu were were, were being asked to know what's going on in the world, but in Taiwan we never ask any of this from cadet. Yeah, we more care about if you can follow the order for seniors. We don't because re- you know small country. We don't have that kind of big. I would say big picture of the what's going on in the world.、Oh. So it's very big difference. Yeah, that is very interesting. And then、um, the following year, you、uh, was chosen as a youth ambassador or something, or something like that, some kind of、um, youth leader by the、uh, Dharma Drum Mountain Association, which is a Buddhist organization. Yeah, so that、yes. was very interesting. How did that happen? Oh, it was a great honor and kind of turning point in my life. I was in, invited to attend a forum in, in Damajan Mountain, and then I'm surprised it was、um, audition kind of for youth delegates to Taiwan. And then I realized this program, and I found it very interesting, and I decided to apply. And because during that time,、um, Master Sun Yan was the, the the chairman in United Nations、uh, for for religion. And then he can、uh, invite, even though we are not part of UN, but we can still assign fifteen、uh, young people to participate at events and to participate、uh, World Youth Leadership Summit.、Oh. So,、uh, yeah. So during in that time, I I met great people and、uh, went to this uh, uh, this trip and for two weeks and then really connect to the world and then to meet a lot of. Uh, uh, 
youth delegates, I think more than 200 countries. Now, I'm sure that you were chosen because of your strong language ability, I think. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yes, but just lucky, I would say. Uh, wait, another time you were chosen as an outstanding youth ambassador um, back in uh, yeah. 2010. Yes. That was part of a government program? Yes. Yeah, it's a government program and then uh, open to people uh, who is uh, yeah above like 40 years old. Uh, they consider young people and they, because they want to select 10 young people on behalf of Taiwan to be, uh, to be a young ambassador. And it's quite interesting because um, in Taiwan, we select 10 young people mm-hmm. and China and the U.S., both of them, they select uh, 10 young people. So they, they call it the leadership program, and they want us to, I mean, to they, ha- they hope us to become a future president so that the triangle relationship is more easy to solve in the future. So oh. that's, that was a really good program, and uh, I also met a lot of uh, talented people during that time. Yeah, you even went to the States and visited the White House and also the Congress, the U.S. Congress, right? Yeah, Congress and congressmen, and they have dinner with us, and we chat a lot. It was really, really uh, remarkable experience. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Okay, here's the thing. When you try to introduce yourself and you introduce yourself in Chinese, you wrote you know, in the email to me, um, you kind of touched on three major factors in your life. One is leadership, which is what we're just talking about. And then the second is on, um, I don't know, business side. Um, so like yes. a business management kind of thing. And the last part is about arts. Well, we're going to get to all that you know, in a second. But I understand that after you were that successful youth leader and everything, you decided to come home to Taiwan and start your own, um, sort of like your own program for training future leaders. That's very ambitious. Uh, I won't say it's ambitious. It just kind of, uh, um, I would say, something like you pay back to the society. Mm. Because every year, every year they select uh, 10 young people. And then we're just trying to share what we have learned for them to have more preparation before they go to USA. Because, you know, it's invisible competition among these three countries, right? So if you go there unprepared, that that is kind of awkward. So we wanted to, we wanted to have uh, future uh, juniors to, uh, to learn how to make a speech, to learn how to connect with people before they travel to White House. Mm. This sounds very much like Toastmasters. You must uh, be. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's more than that. It's more than that. And then we, we also, we, we do this out of, uh, you know, volunteer, just, just a volunteering job. Yeah. Well, leadership is very important, uh, especially if Taiwan is thinking about globalization. Um, yes. we, yeah, we need to be, I mean, we're leaders in, uh, in a lot of areas, in a lot of different ways, in our technology and AI and whatever, but, but, you know, leadership is very important. So I think you touched on something that's very important about bringing Taiwan to the world. So then brings us to the second part, the second factor, uh, that you think is important in life. And yep. that is after your 10 years in military, um, as a real military officer, uh, you decided to give that up, uh, study job, and studied MBA at the uh, National Taiwan University, what it was? National Taiwan University. That was in 2014. 
So why did you want to go into business? Is it because of this leadership program that you started made you、um, have a mind of you know going into business? Well, yes, because one of、uh, one of the young ambassadors, uh, she uh, uh, her name is Bernice, and she is in that program, like、uh, NTU、uh, Global MBA program. And I asked how how it is, and she told me this is a really good program. And then I said, okay, I I want to give it a try. So I just go apply. And then、uh, what happened from there while you were taking that program, made you start thinking about a whole lot of different things that you can be an entrepreneur in or something like that. Yeah, in this program, I found that I can be something different. So、uh, I should not limit myself. I should try to discover my full potential. In that case, I need to quit my military job. You never regretted leaving military job. Oh no, never, never. I I think it's a process, and then I feel better after leaving. Yes. Right. Yeah. I guess it's a plus, a big plus to you know your future endeavors, like what you're doing now. Wow. And you know you've traveled around the world, kind of. You also went out to Paris. And on an exchange program there as well,、uh, sent by NTU National Taiwan University. Yeah. So we have an exchange program. Exchange program. So I went to、uh, Della Consubahi and for exchange program,、uh-huh. and、uh, also fulfill my dream、uh, of living in Paris. Yeah. So、uh, I I used to travel Paris in back in two thousand five. Okay. And I realized that Paris is my dream city. Oh, why and, is that? You know, I, I, well, I I love it. It's just beautiful.、Uh-huh. You feel, you can feel the old soul, and you can feel everything is really high quality there. And you feel the the vibe, the people there, the everyone is artist, and you, just the vibe is really good. When I when I study in Paris in ten years later in two thousand fifteen. I decided to decided to、uh, spend a lot of money living in Hui、uh, Mufdah, and that is uh, uh, the place that Hemingway used to write the book called "A Movable Feast." Oh, so、uh, okay. I, I had a wonderful memory back in Paris. With such a rich background that Darren Ye has, there is a lot more they can talk about about his life. So do not miss out on next week's In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. The sound of the Amis tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Dinner is served. Join Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu as they sample their way through Taiwan's culinary delights. Andrew, I thought we said no more intestines. <clears throat> That's on Feast Meets West, every Saturday, only on Radio Taiwan International, radio for refined palates.
Classic Shorts: Stories from Chinese History and Literature. Hello and welcome to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. Wang Wei was one of the most prominent Tang Dynasty poets and painters. His works complemented each other, as he often wrote and painted about mountains and rivers. Nature was a great source of inspiration for him, and today we hear some of his most famous poems. This is toward the temple of heaped fragrance. Not knowing the way to the temple of heaped fragrance, under miles of mountain cloud, I have wandered through ancient woods, without a human track. But now on the height, I hear a bell. Sings over winding rocks. The sun is tempered by green pines, and a twilight close to an emptying pool. Thought can conquer the passion dragon. This poem is called "A Message to Commissioner Li at Zito." From ten thousand valleys, the trees touch heaven. On a thousand peaks, cuckoos are calling. And after a night of mountain rain. From each summit, come hundreds of silken cascades. If girls are asked in tribute, the fiber they weave, or farmers quarrel over taro fields, preside as wisely as one Wang did. Is fame to be only? For the ancients, and this one is called a view of the Han River. With its three southern branches reaching the Zhu border, and its nine streams touching the gateway of Jing, this river runs beyond heaven and earth, 
where the color of mountains both is and is not. The dwellings of men seem floating along on ripples of the distant sky. These beautiful days here in Xiangyang make drunken my old mountain heart. about my retreat at Mount Zongnan. My heart in middle age found the way, and I came to dwell at the foot of this mountain. When the spirit moves, I wander alone amid beauty that is all for me. I will walk till the water checks my path, then sit and watch the rising clouds, and someday meet an old woodcutter, and talk and laugh and never return. Those are some of the most famous works of Tang Dynasty poet and painter Wang Wei. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. You're listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, the program host. Today we will continue focusing on the COVID-19 pandemic. Since the first case was discovered in Wuhan, China last December, the highly contagious disease has spread rapidly around the world. It has claimed over 250,000 lives, and more than 3.6 million people worldwide have been infected with the novel coronavirus. In just two weeks, high school entrance exams are set to go ahead across Taiwan as scheduled. But concerns about COVID-19 mean that this year's exams will be a little different, and schools where the exams will be held are working to make sure they get everything right. How do you hold an exam during a global pandemic? Very carefully. 
Taiwan's high school entrance exam is fast approaching, and some schools are holding drills to practice implementing safety measures so that COVID-19 doesn't interfere. To start with, students have their temperatures taken at the entrance to the exam hall. For the first time, no parents will be allowed to accompany them. Since this exam is only offered once a year, even students who do have a fever will be allowed to soldier on through. The only requirement is that they take the exam in a separate room reserved for sick students in which desks are spaced far apart. Once the temperature taking is done and the students are seated, they must take off their masks for one second as the teachers walk around matching faces to names on their list of test takers. Throughout the exam period, windows and doors will be kept open and air conditioners turned on. Lastly, dividers will be placed between desks. Schools hope that all of these steps would let the test go on without putting anyone at risk. Shirley Lin, RTI News. The tourism industry in the central county of Nantou has been hit hard by COVID-19. Even the county's most famous attraction, Summon Lake, has not been spared. The Skywalk at Qingjing Farm has always been a favorite attraction in Nantou County. But COVID-19 has shown what a pandemic can do to even the most popular tourist spots. While the Skywalk offers spectacular views, fears over the highly contagious disease mean that these days there is barely anyone around to enjoy them. One local worker says that the farm used to attract 700 to 800 tourists every weekend. Now only 200 to 300 people showed up on an average day. Nanto County street food vendors are hurting too. One local dining area that was once reliably packed is now almost empty, with only one or two tables occupied. A nearby vendor told our reporters that he had only sold two rice sausages that day, earning the equivalent of just two U.S. dollars. Statistics released by the county government show that the number of visitors since December has dropped by more than half when compared with the same period the previous year. When people think of Nantou County, they think of Summon Lake, but even this iconic spot is deserted. The only people on the streets around the lake are locals. One woman says there are more birds than visitors these days. The COVID-19 pandemic has hurt business across many sectors worldwide. But not everyone is feeling the pinch. Certain Taiwanese companies backed by Taiwan's Foreign Trade Council are even looking at the pandemic as an opportunity to go big. If there's anything COVID-19 has demonstrated, it's just how much can be done online. Even international trade fairs are going virtual these days. And yes, despite the pandemic's economic impact, there is plenty of business to be done if you're in the right field. On Monday, Taiwan's Foreign Trade Council, TITRA, brought together 15 Taiwanese biotech and medical supply firms to show off their wares internationally. Representatives from more than 200 foreign media outlets and buyers attended the trade show virtually. TITRA president and CEO Walter Ye says that now is the big chance for the companies taking part. He says that Taiwan's success tackling COVID-19 and its international donations of high-quality surgical masks have raised the image of Taiwanese industry abroad. He says the quality of Taiwanese-made medical supplies has attracted a growing number of international buyers. It's not just masks, gowns, and face shields, either. On display were products like a robot that uses ultraviolet light to disinfect. The company behind this robot has already seen overall sales in the first quarter grow 30% from the same period last year. It's already sold more than 100 robots to China alone. Now, the company, and others like it, are getting even more ambitious and looking to go global. John Van Trieste, RTI News.
This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. A number of Taiwan's Olympic hopefuls have been under quarantine in recent weeks after returning from overseas. But with the Olympics rescheduled for next year, there's no time to lose where training is concerned. Two universities have unveiled a high-tech plan to help quarantine athletes stay in shape. COVID-19 may have led to the postponement of the Olympics, but Taiwan is making sure that it doesn't harm its chances once the Games finally begin. Since the middle of March, 120 Taiwanese Olympic hopefuls have been placed in quarantine after returning from competitions abroad. During their two weeks of isolation, only 60 of them were able to keep up with their training. This could be bad news for Taiwan. These are athletes that can't go more than two days without training if they want to stay in peak condition. And since COVID-19 and quarantine rules don't look like they're going anywhere soon, a training in quarantine program is needed for the future. That's where National Taiwan Sport University and National Yangming University have stepped in. On Thursday, they unveiled a high-tech program that uses private clouds and special training equipment to let athletes in quarantine keep up their preparations. Through several gadgets, the program monitors athletes' health, provides data about their performance, and allows them to talk with their coaches via video link. It's one more example of how, when it comes to COVID-19, Taiwan isn't taking any chances. John Van Trieste, RTI News. As Taiwan heads into a long weekend, the Taiwan Railways Administration is preparing for a jump in ridership. To ensure its trains don't become a vector for the spread of COVID-19, the administration is considering seating regulations that would keep passengers a safe distance from one another. However, not everyone is convinced that this will help much. Friday is the start of Taiwan's long Labor Day weekend. And this year, the Taiwan Railways Administration is considering limiting seating reservations. The idea is to allow people to travel without putting them at risk of getting COVID-19. Under the proposed plan, tickets for window seats will go on sale first. And once those are sold out, tickets for aisle seats will go on sale. Some passengers are not impressed with this proposal. They say that eliminating half of the seats would just mean more people standing in trains and crowding together, too. Then there's the fact that people who pay with a debit card can sit wherever they want. The railway company says that if there's no way of keeping a proper distance between people, the only thing to do is to require all passengers to wear masks. Shirley Lin, RTI News. And should the testing sites for Taiwan's annual high school entrance exam be air-conditioned? It's a question that has divided education officials, especially in southern Taiwan, where temperatures regularly hit 30 degrees Celsius around this time of the year. For years, middle school students in southern Taiwan have gotten through their high school entrance exams with the help of air conditioning. But this year, they may have to find other ways of coping with the heat. With exams now just over a week away, some educators are worried that air conditioning could spread COVID-19. In Jiayi City, officials say that 
air conditioning could heighten the risk of a cluster infection, especially in an enclosed space like an exam hall. Further to the south in Tainan, where the mercury recently hit 36 degrees Celsius, officials have come up with compromise, if not a very eco-friendly one. Schools there are turning on their air conditioning, but leaving their windows open too. The Education Bureau in Tainan allows each school to decide whether the test sites will be air conditioned or not, as long as there are steps to prevent the spread of COVID-19 in place. And officials suggest opening some windows to ensure air circulation. And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist. For Radio Taiwan International, I'm Paula Chow. See you next week. Bye-bye. Missions uh, number one is to enhance to Napoleon infection control. And number two is to ensure safety of patients and healthcare workers. And number two is to improve the quality of medical care. And the last one in right now is to prevent the spreading of the communicable disease, especially the COVID-19. Hello and welcome to this week's online brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Dr. Chen Mu Kwan, superintendent of Zhanghua Christian Hospital, or CCH, said his hospital has taken measures to prevent the spread of coronavirus or COVID-19, including patient flow, setting up checkpoints, checking patients' travel history, allocation of beds for pneumonia patients apart from 36 negative pressure, isolation beds, and buffer area in emergency department. And to find out more, let's hear from Dr. Chen Muquan, Superintendent of Zhanghua Christian Hospital. Dr. Chen Muquan, first of all, could you tell us what efforts your hospital, Zhanghua Christian Hospital, has done to cope with COVID-19, especially with the Division of Work and Health Care? Okay, firstly, it's my prayer, and I have to show my big thanks to give me a chance to share our experience against COVID-19. You know, the Zhang Wang Hospital has a history of 124 years that was founded by Dr. Lansberg from the UK. And right now we have one medical center with a branched hospital. Totally, we have around 4,000 sick beds. And we are the biggest medical healthcare center in central Taiwan. And since the late December year 2019, we have made a head plan effort to cope with COVID-19, including, number one, our command center was established immediately with me as the commander and all staff in those soon respond to the official policy and uh, safety improvement. Number two, complete the inventory of the hospital negative pressure isolation ward and uh, the allocation of physicians, nurses, and their medical staff. Number three, establishment of negative pressure operation run in three days after Lunar New Year's, which spent three million new Chinese dollars and another center negative positive operation run in one month. Number four, establish airway disease screening station outside the hospital and the different compartment to lower the risk of close infection rate. Number five, dividing and redirecting patients' basis on the TOCG history 
and ultra-red uh, thermometer number six reward employees to put the morale on more than one million new Taiwanese dollars. And the number seven, for, uh, formulate the strict employees' self-management uh, policies to prevent pneumonia infections. And uh, number eight, step up drive-through of the refillable prescriptions for patients with chronic disease and provide remote video medical service to reduce the risk of people coming to the hospital. And at last, prohibit our staff to go to China in early February, and then prohibit go abroad to any countries. That, and this policy is earlier than our CDC policy. I think it's about two weeks earlier. Two weeks earlier. Yeah. Dr. Chen, you mentioned about the command center. Uh, that's the infection prevention and control center, and you are the head of the command center. What is the main mission? Yeah, I, I think that we have the four missions. Uh, number one is to enhance to nocturnal infection control. And then number two is to ensure safety of patients and the healthcare workers. And number three, to improve the quality of medical care. And the last one in right now is to prevent the spreading of the communicable disease, especially the COVID-19, including handle disease spreading and carry out a policy of Taiwan CDC. Of course, the team is very professionally and leads us in the right way and now. Every hospital in Taiwan right now manages the patient flow. What about your hospital? Yes, uh, for us, the, the, for the inpatients, uh, just uh, around two months ago, we have temporarily closed the one ordinary ward and then to delay the non-emergence of life-threatening surgery to wait in acute. And uh, number two, for our patient department, we have set up several checkpoints in front of the hospital. The patient flow would be one way in and out. When they are coming in, we check their TOCC history and blood temperature. Any high-risk patient could be carried to receive treatment in airway disease area outside the hospital to reduce the close infection rate. So right now, we have uh, reduced our treatment volume around 20%. Reduced it by 10%? Yeah, uh, no, uh, 20%. 20%. Earlier, you mentioned, Dr. Chen, that... uh, Zhanghua Christian Hospital has allocated a budget of 3 million Taiwan dollars or around 100,000 US dollars to increase negative pressure isolation beds. Can you talk about this? Oh, that, uh, I mean that this by the, this uh, negative pressure operation room, this for the surgery. So for the issue of negative pressure isolation bed, right now we have 36 negative pressure rooms, including for adults, children, and the intensive care unit. Meanwhile, we have pneumonia ward, which is single room to care any cases after COVID-19 is included. I believe it's enough to handle the potential risk in the future. By the way, we are still building more capacity of isolation area. For example, we will have additional six ICU negative pressure rooms in this week. Zhanghua Christian Hospital is one of the largest hospitals in central Taiwan. Actually, it's one of the largest in Taiwan as well. And uh, you have about 36 negative pressure isolation beds. Do you think that the capacity is enough, let's say, for the patients uh, living in central Taiwan? Yes, sure, because we treat the patient not only in uh, uh, Zhanghua County, but also including the Lano County and uh, the Yunnan County. So I think the total that we have covered around 2.5 million of the people. 
And I think the 36 net pressure room is enough. And uh, uh, I have talked about we have another the pneumonia ward, which is a single room. So I think the capacity is enough. You're listening to On The Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Chen Quan, Superintendent of Zhanghua Christian Hospital in Central Taiwan. Dr. Chen, Taiwan has been very successful in containing COVID-19 so far. Now, what do you think are the main factors, as a doctor yourself, that contribute to Taiwan's success? Uh, yes, I think it's a very good question. Um, I think there are several factors. Firstly, the key factor is that we don't believe China and the WHO. And the secondary, <laughs> I think that we do believe and follow the passage of the Taiwan government because we have the healthcare system in Taiwan. For example, the mask policy is very successful. It protects our people, and uh, even we can tell everyone Taiwan is helping. Finally, Taiwan has very high-quality healthcare system with high carbon rates, more than 90%. This is the highest rate all over the world, and we know the best students choose to medical school and become a physician in Taiwan which build a very strong manpower and the infrastructure. Would you say also that the SARS outbreak back in 2003, that was 17 years ago, has taught us a lesson to be better pre prepared because a lot of countries in the world, um, now they are not that prepared because they never went through the SARS experience? Yes, I think you are definitely right. I remember during the SARS in the year 2003, I was the department chief of the autorinolacology, had a neck surgery. I actually worked in the first line and had a lot of the valuable experience. And uh, this uh, experience also in a lot of the uh, medical center, I think. So we have learned much from SARS outbreak in the year 2003. It was a huge impact for people, for hospitals, for everyone. Because of the terrible experience, and the, the, I, we know the mortality rate of the SARS is higher than COVID-19. So uh, we have learned a lot of lessons from the SARS, so we can respond very uh, quickly and do more than other countries in facing COVID-19. How do you prevent uh, overloading of patients? We know this is a problem, the transportation of patients uh, from one hospital to the next one to avoid further spread of uh, coronavirus. Oh, yes, just I have talked. We have temporarily closed some ordinary world and changed to a single route, delayed non-emergent of life-facing surgery. Also, we are following the distribution rule of Taiwan CDC. Medical centers should take over critical patients in our hospital, we set up several buffering areas in the emergency rooms and work for preventing any chance of virus spread. In this part, we not only help our branch hospital, but also collaborate with our hospital in Zhanghua, Yunnan, and Nanto County. We provide adequate equipment such as the N95 mask and the surgical mask, PPE, and qualified protective clothing, and uh, provide comprehensive training to staff. We believe that only profession can defeat the virus. Now, let's say, uh, you know, God hopes it will never happen if the entire hospital were quarantined. Do you have a backup plan for that? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, we have one, uh, because we have one medical center and every hospitals that 
can support each other. So I think our health care system is the strongest one, not also in Taiwan, but I think it's all over the world. So we not only have plan, we have drilled and uh, have the SOB already uh, just uh, two months ago. So once any uh, hospital in our healthcare system uh, was closed, we can transfer and uh, support uh, every branch hospital uh, in our system. We know that Changhua Christian Hospital has been known for its international assistance to many countries in the world. And has your hospital worked with other international hospitals in containing COVID-19 or exchanging information, Dr. Chen? Uh, yes, because this hospital is founded 124 years ago by the Dr. Lensberg from the UK. So we think that if we have the chance, we should help other countries. So we are doing and have planned several international teleconferences. We are ready to share information about disease prevention, big data application, economic effect, and how to use AI products to handle diseases. Uh, then we'll have our South Bank's policies, the so-called one center, one country for TTH, not only Thailand, but also Vietnam and uh, uh, Myanmar, I think. Mm-hmm. Now, your hospital published the first journal released by New England Journal of Medicine. This is one of the most prestigious peer-reviewed medical journals published in February. And the first article on COVID-19 from a Taiwan hospital, that's your hospital, regarding a locally transmitted case. Could you talk about that, Dr. Chen? Yes, I think it's very important because just in early February, I have asked our staff to publish our experience to the NEJM. And, and uh, our hospital found that COVID-19 is basically human-to-human infection in January 25. Moreover, we mentioned that people could be infected by patients without any obvious symptoms because I have to say very uh, honestly, in the first day, we let the number eight cases go home because we don't think he have the symptoms of fever or severe upper way symptoms. But in the second day, we, we asked the patient to come back and uh, take the, the COVID-19, the RT-PCR, and uh, we find it's really a positive patient. So I think it's a great contribution uh, to the world. And uh, it was totally not like SARS in the year 2003. At the time, we tried our best to warm uh, this world, to let them know the COVID-19 is highly spreading disease. The journal released by Tsanghua Christian Hospital also shows the standard of Taiwan's prevention and treatment efforts, including the efforts done by your hospital. Do you think so, Dr. Chen? Yes, definitely. I think so. This journal confirmed Taiwan can share our useful and cutting-edge information, which the world although we are not the member of the WHO, and I think that it also established the so-called every country have the movement controlled order. And I believe that your hospital, Zhanghua Christian Hospital, will be able to play its part in the world in helping other countries contain COVID-19. And we've been joined on the phone today by Dr. Chen Mu Kwan, 
the superintendent of Zhanghua Christian Hospital. And that wraps up this week's On the Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.